morning again, everybody. Pastor Jeff is enjoying actually a week of sabbatical. So uh, the church board uh, gifted him with some weeks of sabbatical this year. And he has not had any sabbatical in 25 years of preaching. And we discussed it this last year. And the board decided it would be good for him at times to be able to have a, a week or two to get away and just get focused, get refreshed. And uh, he's spending time right now getting ready for next fall, actually, through our sermon series and stuff and just where the Lord's directing him and directing our church. But I'd like to share a Love Like Jesus moment with you this morning. This actually comes out of uh, one of our uh, groups of youth affiliated with our church and had a group of youth experience uh, one of their peers sharing with them this last week that over the last year, they had really experienced the friendship and the love of Jesus through their fellow peers. And uh, this particular person is kind of hard, hard to love, hard to like. They're dealing with just some stuff in their life and it meant a lot to the ears that heard that and just not even realizing the impact they were having living out Jesus to them. And Jeff and I and some of the other staff, you know, we get asked occasionally, it's so simple. I mean, why, why remind about love like Jesus? And it's true. It's, it should be just a daily part of our life, should it not. But yet, I think it's good and healthy for us, not just as the key for our church, but to remind ourselves, to keep us fresh. We can become so ingrained in the ruts of our daily activity a lot of times where it's just a mindset, I think, of refreshing. And um, I do have some fresh wristbands ordered as well, too. They'll be arriving anytime. I know some of you have wanted some of those, so we'll have those available shortly, but um, good job, church. Keep loving like Jesus. Power. What do you think of when I say the word power? What do you get envisioned into your mind this morning? It could be many different things. I think one thing we think of is the power of nature. You know, we think of the power of a forest fire, the power of water, floods, the tsunamis. I've watched some of those videos on YouTube of that, the tsunami that hit Japan and it's, it's chilling. I mean, it's horrific when you see some of those aerial shots they were able to capture and some of the ground level were incredible destructive power. And I think of a time too, uh, my wife Stacy, she had grown up, uh, she grow, grew up on a lake and she went through a tornado growing up when she was a teenager. And I remember her telling me that, calling me the night that it happened and just the, really the horror and terror of it as the family, I mean, everybody's jumping out of bed. It's a three-story home she grew up in on the lake and they're running down the stairs and by the time they're halfway, not to the basement yet, they're feeling the air pressure pop and the windows exploding upstairs. Doors are getting ripped off the hinges and flying down the hallways and just terror. It's amazing how small you feel as a human being in a moment like that. Unfortunately, they came through that unscathed as a family, but uh, did some damage to their home. Um, but power. Another thing we may think of when I think of power is horsepower. I'm a guy that definitely thinks of horsepower. I love big, powerful things and engines and equipment. Big, and I think of a time as a, a young boy, I was probably 12 years old, my dad's friend, Jack, had bought a new boat. He had bought a Cobra Hydrojet 
ski boat. It had a 425 big block Oldsmobile in it. And I will never forget the first ride Jack gave me in that boat. He took just myself and he for a ride. We were camping with him and he said, Chad, would you like to go for a ride in the boat? Oh, absolutely. And I will never forget getting out on the lake and as he starts to hit the throttle and it's planing up, as we start to plane and he just hammered it. And the thrill, I love speed, I love fast things. And the roar of that big block and flying across that lake and the water just ripping out of the back of that boat. It was such a thrill. The power of that boat was exhilarating to me. I loved every moment I got riding in that boat. But I thought of two, what about military power? Some of you may think of military power, whether it's just the, the mass of an army, just the raw envisioning of the manpower or the destructive capability that we've developed in our warfare with as horrifying as it is, but yet the, the display of power is incredible that we see. Well, we're going to look this morning and talk about the power that God gives us. <clears throat> and it's one thing to talk about power, but it's another thing to experience it to witness that power firsthand. You know, it's one thing to talk about tornadoes and watching videos. It's another thing, like my wife, to actually go through a tornado is a totally different experience. We're in chapter 28 this week of the story, we're nearing the end, and this week was called The New Beginnings. This is where Jesus Christ unfolds the church now, and he's getting ready to depart from earth. And today we're going to talk about the promised power from God and what it meant to the early church and what it still means to us today. If you're able, would you please stand with me as we read from the book of Acts this morning, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, as we, uh, we look at your word now, in the unfolding in the book of Acts, the unfolding of the church, Lord, as we look at the gift that you gave when Jesus left to us as Christians, the gift to your Holy Spirit, and Lord, that it, it empowered us to live the Christian life and to be witnesses for you and the examples that the apostles displayed after this time. Lord, may be it encouraging to us this morning and challenging to our hearts as we live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in the four Gospels leading up to the book of Luke, we really see the life of Jesus Christ. We see from his birth, through his growing up, to his death and resurrection on the cross. And now in the book of Acts, after the apostles, or the Gospels, we're going to see the power of Jesus Christ and God Almighty unfold into the humankind. Now, Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He wrote two books, Luke and Acts, and he addresses both books to a gentleman named Theophilus. And it's interesting because we really don't know much about Theophilus. We assume possibly he was a Roman ruler of some nature. Just by the way he addresses him in Luke, he really gives him quite a high stature in his address to him. We don't know if he's a Christian. We do know his name means friend of God. So the implication is we would be hopeful that he did know Christ and actually lived out the meaning to his name, but we have no idea if he did or not. As we look at the first chapter of Acts this morning, there's two things initially that I think Jesus knew the apostles needed before he left earth. And first one we see in verse three, is that he's really alive. Jesus Christ is really alive. He had just come back from the dead. He had resurrected. And now over for a period of 40 days, he's meeting with the apostles. He's leaving them. He's coming back. He appears. And a lot of times he appeared just at moments right in front of them. And I always thought, man, I wonder if they ever got like the goosebump level ever went down with some of those appearings where all of a sudden he just showed up in the room with them. But He's appearing with them, and there's almost, if, when you look at this, there's almost a letting out of the string, it seems like. Kind of like you do with your kids, or maybe as you were growing up, as you start to grow into an adult, as parents, we start letting the string out a little further, a little further. We're letting our kids develop and get more freedom, more responsibility. And it's almost as Christ is doing this with the apostles, where he's spending time with them, really solidifying that he truly is alive. It wasn't an illusion they're having. He's eating with them. He's talking with them. They're touching him. And he's teaching them. And he's spending these 40 days of time. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he's not just the apostles. Christ was witnessed by over 500 people before he left earth. That is, that is huge. That is a huge, even in my mind, for solidifying the fact that the resurrection really did happen. Multiple people saw this. Multiple people saw Jesus afterwards. So I think he's spending time on purpose with them, knowing that they're going to need this 40 days of teaching, counseling, solidifying that he really is alive. <clears throat> the second reason 
is because until Jesus leaves, the gift that the Father has is not going to be given to mankind. And in the Gospel of John, it talks about that. Jesus says, unless I leave, the Comforter is not going to come. So there has to be this departing. There has to be this separational break in contact with them so that God can bless them with the Holy Spirit. And they talk about that in verses 4 and 5 where, you know, John the Baptist had come before Christ preparing the way and calling people to repentance, calling people to turn their hearts to the promised Messiah. And he was baptizing people when they were committing themselves to Christ's coming and for their forgiveness of sins. And now he's saying that you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I think they had to really be wondering, I'm thinking, what is this going to look like? Are we getting, going back down to a river to get baptized? Or how's this going to take place? But the fact is, is that it was coming. And it's interesting to the disciples' response to that, as we see in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So we constantly see that the Jews hated the Romans. They hated being under that Roman thumb of rule as a people. And they desperately wanted to be broken out of that. And that was part of how they saw the Messiah coming to themselves. They saw that when Christ would come and establish his kingdom, they saw that as this must mean when he comes, he's going to overthrow the entire Roman Empire and release a heavenly warfare against them. And that's not what God's intent was. In fact, Jesus, in verse 7, look at his response to them. It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. You know, Jesus is very direct. A lot of times, so I love about Jesus, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's just very direct to the point with them and saying, guys, look, there's, I don't even know the time that my Father has in mind, which that is a mystery. That is a mystery to our Christian faith of how only God the Father knows that. In chapter, or in the Gospel of Mark, it talks about that as well too, where Jesus says, only my Father knows the times of his return. And so I think even through reading this chapter, I think it's just a good reminder as a side note to realize that, you know, we can be caught, caught up very easily in prophecy and predicting and figuring out formulas. And this, this speaker and pastor's on to a, a new calendar of event charts that he's figured out the formula to narrowing it down to even a month and maybe a time and frame and date of when Christ should be coming back. And yet, when you look at Scripture, we will have signs, yes, but God is very clear that there's no man will be able to figure that out and to know when that is. And that is a big warning to me when we have somebody saying directly that they figured something out. They're trumping Jesus at that point. They are trumping the second person of the Trinity in the Godhead saying, Jesus doesn't know, but you know what? I figured it out. There's a hidden formula in this book. So I think it's just good for us to remind ourselves of that and what God intends for us. Verse 8. Verse 8 is actually the verse that all the commentators pretty much says. This summarizes the caption of Acts and what it's all about. This is kind of the punchline that unfolds the mission of what's going to happen in Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus is saying to him, guys, your, your vision, your focus right now is misdirected. We're going to do something much bigger than restoring Israel right now. We're going to do something much bigger than what you've got in mind. We are going to go and we are going to reach the world with my message of salvation in my story of my crucifixion and my resurrection to the world. That is my agenda right now. The kingdom of God that Jesus is focused on is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and his spirit in the hearts of his followers. And as we start to talk about this now, church, the, the reality is it is absolutely essential for us to have the Holy Spirit to live out our Christian walk. It's absolutely essential. It's not an option. If you're a Christian, God knew that you needed the Holy Spirit here on earth to live out your Christian faith. And I think of that as an option. I think if you know, if you were to go select a, a new automobile, you know, you can, at a dealership, depending on what they have in the lot, well, you can choose different options. You can choose some different luxury items to put into that vehicle, some things that would be nice, and you can kind of pick and choose and maybe special order your own vehicle as well too. But you know, if that vehicle showed up and you jumped in it and you started it and nothing happened and you went out and checked the hood and then the engine compartment's totally emptied out, you'd be going, what's going on? Where's the power source? Well, you didn't, it's, you didn't select that as an option. Well, that's a standard feature. That ha I mean, every vehicle has to have the power source. It's included. Everybody knows that. It, it just, it's a mandatory thing. That is the truth. That's the way I look at this with the Christian faith. When you accept Christ and yield yourself to him, he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. He seals us. He indwells within us that mandatory power source that we have got to have to live out our faith and walk and to utilize the spiritual gifts he blesses us with when we receive him. It's not an option. The Holy Spirit is the power source of the Christian life. And we look at the second part of verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, witness is the key word after power. Power and witness. And then the book of Acts, witness goes on. It's like mentioned almost 30 times throughout the book of Acts. Witness, witnesses. It's like the theme of the book of Acts. And it's interesting because you think of, all right, well, what is a witness? Is a witness somebody who gives their opinions? Somebody who gives their brainstorms on what they think something should be? You know, a witness is somebody who tells clearly what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they've experienced. There's an audible exchange with a witness. People aren't interested in witnesses if they remain silent or if they give opinions all the time and brainstorm. I've sat on three different jury trials in my life so far, and I can tell you when witnesses take the stand, nobody in the courtroom, including the jury, the, the lawyers, the judge, you don't want a witness getting on the stand that is silent and doesn't say anything or sits there and rambles about their opinion of the case and what they feel should be going on. Not, they, nobody wants that. We, a witness. We want the facts. Tell us what you saw. Tell us what you heard. Tell us what you experienced. 
I think of a time as a, remember I mentioned I love speed. Well, speed got me in trouble for a part of my life. And uh, I had to, I had to manual, uh, mandatorily appear in court once from one of my tickets. I received a ticket for drag racing, was one of my tickets. And um, I, I was a, it's a mandatory court appearance for drag racing. I don't know if it still is, but it, it was when I grew up. And the judge would set your penalty and your fine. And, the, and that reads when you get it, fines up to $2,500. Uh, penalty up to 30 days in jail. Yeah, okay, I'm just a kid, you know. And so I, I show up at court, and I get in the small little courtroom, and it's an official courtroom. And I sit down, and other people are strolling in and stuff, and there's extra chairs. And uh, the judge comes in. She sits down. You know, of course, everybody does the, the whole formalities of court. And sits down, and she calls the first, first person up who was there. And this, this lady gets up, and... Um, She's on trial for prostitution. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a traffic ticket. I'm a kid. I'm 18 years old. Goes through that, and boom, sentence her penalty. She had to spend some time in jail, pay us fine. And next guy gets up. Next guy gets up. He's in for assault and battery. He had gotten at a fight at a, a bar and just beat a guy badly and was representing him. And I'm just like, and I, I, my freak out point started to dial up because I'm looking at up to 30 days in jail, up to $2,500 fine. Wow, this, this could get serious. And I'm 18 years old, I'm a kid. So my turn finally comes up. I come up to the, to the bench and there's a microphone and she says, well, Chad, uh, tell me what happened. Now, what do you think her response would have been starting in if I said, you know, this isn't fair. I shouldn't be here, you know, I, and I ramble on about all of my opinions about the cops and the whole event. I think her, her temperament and shortness would have quickly escalated, okay? She wanted to hear me as the witness, Chad, what happened the night of this ticket? I want to know from beginning to end, tell me the details of what took place. And I audibly told her, this is what happened. Graciously, I didn't have to spend any time in jail, and I got out of there for a little over 100 bucks, which at the time, 30 years ago, that was a lot of money still, but... Um, I had the fear of the Lord pressed in me a little bit harder after that day, let me tell you. Um, that was serious. But I had to speak up. You know, we are Jesus' witnesses just as the apostles were. Church, we are called to tell other people around us and be witnesses to people around us about what Jesus has done in our life and the story of the cross and how he has changed us, how he has healed us, how he has affected us. Jesus wants us relying on his power source, the Holy Spirit, to impact the people around us with our story. You say, well, Pastor Chad, you know, I, I'm, I'm silently a witness for Jesus. I would challenge you on that. I think you can be a silent example for Jesus Christ, and I, I think that's totally fine and biblical. I do. I think you can represent Christ silently in a good way as an example of what a Christian is. But if you're really going to get into studying what is a witness, the definition of a witness is someone who tells and speaks their personal account and truth of what's happened. And if you're going to witness for Jesus Christ, not be, just be an example, but actually witness, you've got to open up your mouth. You have to take moments to tell people when they come across your path path about what Jesus Christ has done for you. Imagine if the apostles just stayed silent as good 
Christian examples. I mean, in the book of Acts, I mean, it, the church is exploding. Christ ha has everything lined up to explode the church and get it moving worldwide. And he had pieces in place to make all that happen. But it was up to them to open their mouths to be witnesses about how Jesus had affected them and changed their life. And God used that to start the explosion of the movement through the power of his Holy Spirit. He tells them to go to Jerusalem. That's their initial surrounding area. That's home base where they were. Judea and Samaria, the next outskirts from where they were. Then worldwide, okay? And they didn't know how to envision all that yet. But it's amazing when you think of our Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem starts in your own home. It starts right where you're going to go after service today with your kids. Are you sure your kids are saved? Have you actually had a spiritual Jesus conversation with your kids? Or are you just assuming because they're growing up in church and joy coming to Sunday school that everything's okay? Are you impacting the people that you rub against through your work, your schooling, your friends? That's our Judea, or that's our Jerusalem. And then we move out to our Judea and Samaria. Samaria. That's northern Michigan to me. Worldwide starts expanding. And I think of, well, how, you know, come on, Pastor Chad. Hey, we support. We support missionaries. You guys support missionaries, tithes, and offering. There's, I thought of social media. Think of that. Claire's testimony that we watched on Easter that she did. Wonderful testimony of how Jesus Christ changed her life. That is on social media now, and it is, it's blasted all over the world. I posted it to my Facebook. I had people in Texas and Colorado viewing it and commenting on it in 15 minutes. Is that not incredible? Think of the impact potential of some of this stuff. It's, it, I, I was thinking, I thought, man, social media is incredible. I mean, you can just expand and explode goodness and witnessing that way. And it's, it's wonderful. Claire allowed us to videotape her story and to share that with other people who need to hear that. Church, don't withhold the Holy Spirit's power in your own life to impact someone else around you. Verse 9 through 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Another goosebump moment. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. You know, I had a couple of thoughts the last part of that chapter. And Jesus had to leave so the Comforter would come and the power of God's Holy Spirit would not come until Jesus left. You know, so that was, this was the moment. This was the moment, the last words he said was to, the power's coming, you're going to be my witnesses. And he left them within moments after that. There he goes into the sky, into heaven. And they're challenged with these two men come next to him and say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And you know, I think this brings up a good point with, you know, Acts starts with a loud proclamation. We, you know, we can, it's that, you know, hey, disciples, quit looking in the sky. You've got your marching orders. You're now to go with the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to receive in just a few days. And you're going to start spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the earth. 
When was the last time, man, that we've witnessed to somebody, that we've talked about Jesus with somebody? It's just a thought this morning. For each one of you, when's, when's the last time where you had a Jesus conversation with somebody or tried to start a conversation? I think of a time back in my life, one of the guys I've shared the gospel with, a buddy of mine, his friend's Wayne, and we were in our 20s. We hung out a lot together. And uh, he, was with, he actually was with me when I got my speeding ticket, or my drag racing ticket. But... Um, we were out driving one night, and it had been on, this is the thing, it had been on my conscience for a couple weeks, so I'm like, Chad, you need to talk to Wayne about eternity. We had both gone to a private Protestant school, Christian family and all that. So I finally did one night, I said, Lord, I will, I will talk to Wayne about eternity. And we were just driving one night, and I said, hey, Wayne, uh, I said, you ever think about eternity? And he lets out this gasp. <sighs> he says, Man, you have no idea how bad I've been wanting to talk about this. That is not coincidence, folks. That is not coincidence. When, when we are tuned walking with the Lord and in tune to the Holy Spirit's leading, He will bring people across our paths. And that, that unfolded a few weeks where Wayne and I spent time talking about, you know, his faith and just assurance. And it really, for him, was more of just, he was really going through a time of doubt and just trying to figure out stuff in life and what he had grown up believing and he just was plagued with doubt and he got through that but I thought man I mean there's so many times like that it's like if, how many times have I kept my mouth shut you know that's that's a, the hero moment you know you get to proclaim you know to my shame there's been plenty of other times where I've just nah now I'm not going to say anything and you just go on about life that's sinful that is sin in my life when I do that you know, we all have a story to tell. And we all have a story that's unique to us. That's the cool thing about sitting in the new members class. When you hear how people met Jesus, it is, it is amazing all the different backgrounds and stories and pieces of life everybody's been through. But you know what? There's this, there's this thread that ties them all together when they know Jesus. And that's exactly it. There's this thread of Jesus that's through everybody's story. And you have a story that's unique to you. So when we hold back and say, well, I don't like, you know, I can't really, I don't have nothing to share. Yes, you do. You have a story unique to you, and God has given you that story to use with the people who are going to come across your path in life. Well, I want somebody else's story. Their story is much more powerful than mine. No, it's not. Do you guys realize that all of us have a unique story? We are sinners, humanly, every one of us. And the awesomeness is we have a Savior who died and bled on that cross and saved us from the pit of hell. And every one of us has that story who knows him. That's the miraculous story. Now there's different adjectives to that and different dynamics from your story that you can share with people and that may help impress that on somebody else's life. But your story is unique to you. God didn't screw up when he said, you know, I, I, I saved you, but boy, you're not going to have a powerful witness should have had some more drama in your life. Baloney, that, that is a lie from the pit of hell, people. It is a lie. And that is what Satan uses us a lot of times where just keep our mouth shut because they're not interested. I'm just, I'm just a normal person. I haven't had that much craziness. You're a sinner saved by grace by Almighty God who created you. That is awesome. That is worth sharing with people. 
People are dying to hear our story. And we have to remind ourselves of that. People are dying to hear our story because they're people just like us. Church, remember the local church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and is actively trying to live out biblically the way the church is supposed to operate is one of the most powerful forces against mankind. It, it battles the gates of hell in mankind. And we have to make sure that our church here in Walloon and in East Jordan, that we stay Jesus-focused, we stay empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we keep the main thing, the main thing, is that is we will proclaim the message of that cross to northern Michigan as long as we have breath in our lungs and we do it without apology and we do it without fear and trepidation. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will empower us to do that to northern Michigan. The world around us is looking for answers. They're looking for answers to their marriage problems. They're looking for pro answers to their drug addiction problems. They're looking for answers to their fear of death problems. And the list goes on. They're just, we are no different. We are part of them. We have the answer. And I challenge myself with how dare I keep my mouth shut when what God has done for me, when I have the answer to pass on to somebody, God is using us as the vessel. Silent example for Christ, good in some moments. We've got to open our mouths as the apostles and witness and tell what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have experienced from Jesus Christ impacting our life. People have got to hear that. The Apostle Paul says the gospel is the power unto salvation. It has to be proclaimed. God does the work. The saving part is God's arena. We cannot save anybody in this church. We proclaim it, God grabs who he decides to grab. That's God's decision. It's his playground. He is the chooser of eternal life and who he saves. If you know Jesus, you have the answers. If we know Jesus, we have the answers. We have to be his mouthpiece. We have to be the ones living by the power of his spirit living in a daily walk with him, willing to share our message with people. If you want to bow your heads as we close here, I just have some challenging thoughts for us all this morning. And I guess for starters, I'm going to start with, if you're here this morning and you're going, you know, uh, Pastor Chad, some of what you're saying, I, I don't even get what you're talking about. Well, the reason probably is with some of that is because you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the story of the gospel is this. That cross that's on display in front of our church, that's empty. There was a, Jesus Christ died on that cross. He came to earth. He was fully man. He was fully God. He died on that cross. He shed his blood for you and for me. Why? Because you're a, you're a sinner. I am a sinner. Your pastor up here that's preaching this morning is as big a sinner as you are. And that's why we needed Jesus Christ to die on that cross for us. And he, he was put to death. He was put into a tomb. Three days later, he victoriously rose from the dead, defeated sin, Satan, and death. And he has, sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven this morning. And if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want the Holy Spirit to indwell upon your life, to become a child of God, to be sealed for an eternity with God, to walk through this life with him, empowered by Jesus, you need to merely accept him. Confess that you're a sinner and say, Jesus, what you did on the cross... 
I need that. I accept your gift and that sacrifice. And I accept the, the gift of your salvation. I accept that you rose from the dead to save me. And you can do that right in your seat. It's just a matter of talking to God right there saying, you know what, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, save me. Seal me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. That's the starting point of the Christian walk. For others of you this morning, do you really care about people? You say, what kind of question is that? Well, you know, I think at times in my life, I get, we get so routine. We go through life day after day, almost sometimes in a numbing zone, in a rut. And sometimes we just, we even, we get so focused on ourselves, we really lose track of other people. And I think, of, do, I, does, do I care about people? Do I really have a heart of Jesus for other people? Maybe you need to ask God to give you a heart this morning to break some calluses off your heart, to make it beat for the unsaved around you, to give you yearning for people that are lost. Do people around you even know that you love Jesus? Are people even aware that you're a Christian? Or are you just a nice person who lives a pretty good life, talks pretty well, is pretty quiet, keep to yourself? When's the last time you've shared Jesus with somebody or had a spiritual talk that led to talking about Jesus with someone in your life? You know, the amazing thing with God is this. I have found that if when our hearts get in the right place and our desires are beating after the Lord's desires, when we ask the Lord to bring people our way that we'd be able to share, it's amazing how he starts to do that in many different ways. People you will brush across in your daily walk. But we have to have the courage at that point and be able to be spiritually in tune to the Lord's leading to recognize this is a moment. I gotta grab that question or that inquiry and start a conversation with this person and make it lead to Jesus. Just don't have it be a broad spiritual talk. It's gotta go to Jesus. That's where the power source is at and starting a relationship with him. Lord, as we close today, oh God, I pray that you would impress on our hearts, Lord, soften us. Lord, may we be clay that stays moldable in your hands. May we be usable. Lord, you instilled within us the same Holy Spirit, the power that brought you out of the grave, power that gave the apostles the incredible boldness to proclaim your gospel message through the book of Acts. Lord, it's the same Holy Spirit that resides in us. Lord, I pray that you would pour out a blessing of power upon us. Give us the courage, Lord, to be witnesses. Not just examples, yes, that's important, but to open our mouths, to talk about Jesus with people, to give you a chance to release your power through us. We're merely vessels and voice pieces for you. But you call us to open our mouths. You want to use us in the process of saving people. That's amazing. It's humbling that you would even use us as a piece of that equation. God, you're awesome. Your wonders never cease us to amaze us. Lord, we pray a blessing on this church. We pray that we are a blessable people here. In your name we pray.